Side home theater podcast, the home, the home theater podcast, the home theater podcast. It's all about the experiences, the sights, the sounds, the scenes, and today, how we dial it in so we have the perfect sight, sounds, and scenes. If that's something that you want, right, Chris? Exactly. <laughs> Joined by Chris Deering of Deep Dive AV, uh, one of the most sought after calibrators in the country, world. Yeah, last sure. time you were on, it was, <laughs> yeah, you were, and that's what we were just talking about. It's, you know, people, it's hard to find a good calibrator. So that's why I brought you in. I texted you a while or emailed you a while ago, uh, trying to get you for the 24 hour show. You were traveling, doing your tour of Texas, uh, doing your, uh, calibration tour of Texas, which is great. And you're doing one right, or you're scheduling one right now, uh, for what Northern California, right? Yeah, kind of the Bay Area. Um, even my tour of Texas wasn't everything in Texas that I wanted to get. Um, Texas is huge. Have a, <laughs> yeah, Texas is huge. And I usually have a window of time. And it's, you know, just depends on how many people in an area that I think I can get in the amount of time that I have to get it. I can't always get everything I have. As I've told people many a time, I have a wife that travels that doesn't have flexibility in her schedule, and I have two young kids at home. So, you know, one of us always has to be around. So, yeah, it's hard to do logistically. Yeah. And as you were saying, it's like you're in uh, what Seattle area because you did Travis. Seattle, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You did uh, my buddy Travis's, you calibrated his Lumigen form. You went to his house shortly after, I think, the last time we talked or something. You did Probably, his, yeah. yeah. And, um, so yeah, you were saying like, you got like any calibrator in your area, you have your, you have a lot of work, but the fact that you can travel around the country and you actually do, you know, you take the time to do that is great, but it's, it's quite the demand. It's how, how do you pull all that off? <laughs> yeah. You just, you, you have to be honest with yourself and the clients. And, and, and again, like me being in Seattle, it's very tech heavy, you know, area, the Northwest, you have, you know, Amazon out here, Microsoft out here, you have Google uh, has a lot of offices out here. So it tends to be, uh, you know, a lot of tech savvy guys. So there is actually a lot of demand for this kind of work because, you know, people have the budgets and stuff for it. Not that far from the Portland area, um, you know, a three hour drive south. So between the Seattle area and the Portland area, and honestly, just other work that I do here, I would be just fine if I never traveled. I mean, I was, I was making, even through COVID where I wasn't traveling at all, I was doing just fine. And my wife constantly was like, so when this is all over there, you don't really need to travel. Right. Cause like, it doesn't seem like you need the at all, but you know, I, I, I understand there's advantage. Plus I like getting out of the office a little bit more, you know, seeing different sites and, uh, you know, you know, you, you, you establish a relationship with customers and stuff like that and stuff. So, so I don't mind it. I just don't do like, there are some calibrators out there been around for a long time that do this thing that are like, I'm in this area and I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to take literally a tour from here all the way down the coastline. And, you know, they're spending weeks doing that. And, and, you know, that's fantastic. And I wish them all the best with their business and doing that. But 
I can't do that. I just, you know, like again, with the way my family is and the way that my wife's work goes, it's just, I usually have slots that I can just fill that are only so long and I never have trouble usually filling, yeah. you know, the, those, those. So, so I can't always get everybody. I wish I could, but it, it's just the, the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it sounds funny because like you're busy. Uh, I know Jim Doolittle, uh, my buddy, I tried to get him to come on here as I told you before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he's, he's shy. It's like, I wanted yeah. to have like a little round table discussion. I know you guys know each other. He was like, nope, you're fine. You're in good hands with Chris. I love Chris. He'll <laughs> say the same thing I'm going to say. So just go with that. And he's just like, he just, and like I told you last time we talked, I'm like, he stays away from the internet. He doesn't want, because you know, you guys are the experts, right? And you get on the internet and you get feedback. You get told what's right and wrong. And he just yeah. can't handle that. So it's it's amazing you can. <laughs> yeah, and that actually goes to a lot of industry things. I've talked about that on like AV forums before where um, you'll see some people that are kind of new to them or don't post very often say, you know, I'm surprised that there's not more reps from different companies, you know, like, you know, like, why isn't there a Sony rep in this, you know, talking about this or a JVC rep or whatever, um, yeah, I mean that you see them, but they're few and far between. And a lot of it is they just get chased out. Mm. They get to the point where like these people that like, you know, they're rude. They, you know, they, they, oh, we know it all. What, what do you know? You only make the product kind of stuff like that. And, and it just, it just always devolves into something that people are just like, it's just not worth the time. Um, and, and that's, that is an unfortunate thing. Uh, it is kind of interesting. I, you know, I'm a, obviously a touring calibrator uh, and, and everything like we talked about, but you know, the main forum out there is AVS forum. That's probably the biggest one that's out there. And I'm on AVS quite a bit, you know, posting in different threads, but I, I, I think I've only posted once, maybe twice ever in the actual calibration thread. <laughs> you know, I know there's guys on there that say, Hey, I'm going to be in this area. If anybody's looking for work and stuff like that. Um, and again, like, you know, I wish nothing but the best to anybody that tries to make this into a profession and and everything like that. But I, I don't do that because again, I, I, I just have enough. I, I don't need, to, I'm not advertising. I'm not doing anything because I usually have more demand than what I have time for. So, right. which is great. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very happy about that, but, um, some people are like, Oh, I'm surprised you're not on there or, or posting. You get so much more. And I'm like, I, I don't need more. I need I need a balance. <laughs> right. And and, and that's yeah. what's interesting too, is like you see social media and that's, that's kind of what, you know, we'll get to how this all came up recently is that a lot of people think this isn't something that you need anymore, especially in the mm-hmm. picture side of it, right? It's mm-hmm. it, the, the devices now, the displays are so good out of the box. We have filmmaker mode, which tells it, which is basically telling you, giving you an option other than vivid. Here, this is right. This is completely wrong. <laughs> right. Sure. So it, it, that's, so that gets you into the ballpark. But then it's, why do we need a calibrator? And mm-hmm. I did my best to answer it through Twitter and through my podcast. But can you give us your version of like what, what a cat, what a professional calibration is and why people, why people call you for them? Um, so. There's actually a couple different ways to answer this, and and I've I've answered it in different ways over with different people. Um, 
I think there is a little bit of truth to some of that out there that like, okay, why do I need a calibrator or something like that? I think that tends to be more of the case with um, direct uh, direct view displays like flat panels and things like that. And the reason I say that is because, you know, they are trying to get better about calibrating them from the factory and designing them more accurately. Now, any TV will have, I don't know, five to 10 or more picture modes. And a lot of those are not correct but they're getting better about having a mode or even two modes that are more correct. And because of the repeatability of a direct emissive display, you know, again, like that, you know, they build them, there's a tolerance for it. Um, and again, you know, there's not a lot of contributing factors and stuff to it. The argument can be made that, yeah, you know, if you're using the right picture mode and stuff like that, you know, the difference that a calibration can make might not be as great Again, it depends. Like if let's say you call me and you're like, hey, Chris, I've got a, you know, a, I don't know, a LG display at my house. I want it calibrated. You know, is it going to make a big difference? Well, if you were using the vivid mode all the time and then you wanted me to calibrate it, there'd be a big difference. Or you were using a mode that really wasn't a very good one. But if you were using one that's, you know, one of the more accurate ones, you know, maybe a filmmaker mode if that one happens to be it or whatever, the difference might be smaller. Hmm. Um, I do a lot of projection, uh, hmm. setups, which are to me vastly different because the screen that you're using changes the profile, the amount, you know, the room conditions can change it, the zoom hmm. there's, there's a lot more contributing factors to making a projector look the way it's supposed to compared to something where it's always the same output. Right. It's just the manufacturing tolerance. Um, and then I also do a lot of work with video processors where that requires, you know, those are really designed for professional, you know, kind of more application. But one of the things I always tell people, because again, most enthusiasts and hobbyists are tinkers. Mm. I, I mean, at the end of the day, they just love to sit there like how many times, how many hours, like most people, they think of a TV as hey, I don't got anything to do at seven o'clock tonight. I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to watch Friends. I'm going to watch oh. this. I'm going to watch that. And then they turn it off. Right. AV enthusiasts are like, hey, I've got another, I've got an hour. I'm going to watch five minute clips of this and this and this and this and this. Because, you know, the other day when I was watching something, it didn't like quite look right. Maybe that's a setting or maybe I want to like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they're constantly like, you know, like how, you know, there's always the running joke of how many movies do you watch compared to parts of movies do you watch and stuff like that. That's me. So, so if you think about a calibrator, so like if you and I, DJ, you call me up and you're like, Hey, Chris, let's go to a movie tonight. You know, like, let's say you live in the Seattle area. Hey, let's go meet at the local Dolby cinema and go see Titanic. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The fifth element. You've got the picture right there. So we're going to go watch <laughs> the fifth element. Well, when you and I go down and we sit down in that theater and we start that, that movie starts, right? You just sit back and watch it because you know, you, you expect it to be the way it's supposed to be for that screen. Correct. Like yeah. the thought never comes to you where you're sitting next to me and you're like, Hey, Chris, Hey, should we, should we go ask the projectionist if he set that one setting? Because I, if he didn't set that one setting, it could be wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, or yeah. Or you start I watching. I do do it that like, at the movies sometimes. Nah. I get nervous at the beginning, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying though. It's like you trust in the process there. You trust in the process there. Right. But I think in the your only time home, that that's yeah. right. I think the only time that's been an exception in theaters is like when 3D was kind of a really big craze for a while. 
I used to notice that when I go to some cinemas and I watch something that wasn't in 3D, I'd look up at the projection booth, like through the glass, and I'd see that they still had the polarizer on front, yeah. in front of it. So I know that it was because it would still work through the polarizer, but it's like half the light output, and it's that, you know it hurts the resolution. I think that's what happened. I just saw the Marvels this weekend with my wife, okay. and I think that's uh-huh. exactly what happened because they said it's time to put your 3D glasses on, right? So my wife and uh-huh. I put them on, and they played a trailer. And the trailer was like, it was awful. And I started, oh, okay. the 3D was so bad. Like the characters on the screen were like clear, but then the background still looked like the doubled up version. Like, mm-hmm. so it, that might be, and I actually took the glasses and you know how I polarize it, you ter- turn them yeah, silent. See, I'm like, does that do anything? I'm like, and it's funny you say that. I'm wondering if that's what they did and they hadn't for the, for the feature Put was the polarizer perfect. in front. Yeah. And yeah. that probably cuts down half of what you're, half of the 3D. Right. Yeah. For all intents and, and, and purposes. The, uh, yeah. It makes it where the glasses aren't going to work the way they're supposed to. But, right. you know, again, like I, you know, and it's the same thing. If you were watching, let's say you went to see the Marvels in 2D mm-hmm. and the showing before it in the exact same auditorium was 3D and they left that polarizer in place. It's not going to change anything, but it, it can soften the image and it reduces the light output quite right. a bit. But like those kind of things, like that's that's about the only time I've ever been in a theater where I'm like, oh, I should look and see because I it might have been a theater that I, I I noticed they did it before. But more often than not, you know, you're like, okay, it's set up the way it's supposed to. You just sit back and you enjoy the movie, you know, right. hopefully. Um, <laughs> so I look at calibration as regardless of whatever it is that you think you know or whatever, if you have somebody that is a true professional that knows what they're doing and they come in and they calibrate it, you know, if I do that and I leave, you should know that it is exactly the way it is supposed to be so that you're not like as inclined to pick up your remote and tinker with it and stuff like that and realize that like, okay, hey, I watched like this movie after he left. It looked amazing. Next day I watched the movie looked amazing. Next day I watched the movie looked amazing. But then I got this other movie and it doesn't look quite right realizing that that's probably the content mm-hmm. and not the display. So you don't have to be like, oh, well, maybe it's because, and, right. you know, here we go right back to it. Or, you know, how many guys have I seen where they're like, yeah, my wife hates watching a movie with me because I'm always like, oh, hold on, something's not right. Give me a second right. to tinker with this. So bringing in somebody just makes it where you have that peace of mind that's like, look, it, it's the way it's supposed to be. Sit back, watch the movie, stop thinking about it. And that's the same, you know, with audio, video, now, video tends to be calibrated more to a standard, you know, like, right. I mean, the, the standards are very well defined. Audio is a little more of a gray area because there's different target curves. There's people that have different house curves. There's definitely like that subjective preference for, oh, I want more bass, more bass, more bass or yep. whatever. Speakers but are different. Also, there's so many different things in the chain that can adjust yeah. the, the quality in the room, the room treatments, the speakers. Are they quote warm or bright or are they, there's so many variables. Yeah. And like you said, there's so many more ways to tune to taste that yeah. I think, and you're saying everything, like I said, like, so this all kicked off with one of my listeners on Twitter, Chris Brown tweeted, why would anyone get a professional calibration? And you've basically mm-hmm. said every, like peace of mind. I said, I think if you're, if you're a serious home theater enthusiast and you care about the details, then you should at least get one in your lifetime so that you know what it means and what it yeah. looks like. Right. And then you would, if, 
if it didn't do anything for you or whatever, you'd be then like, you okay, know. then you know, that, okay, I can get it as close. At least then you'll have that peace of mind. And to everything that, that, that you said about like today's displays, I've been getting calibration since the early 2000s when the displays were crap. And yeah. there was a lot more like rear projection televisions all the way to projectors. There was, when you got a calibration, you knew the difference. And it was, yeah. I mean, it was, it wasn't like way vivid. more mechanical. Yep. A lot more stuff. And that's the other thing like on projectors that can you touch on? Cause I think a lot of people think a calibration is you come in and you adjust the settings and that's stuff that we can do on, that's the tinkerer side. But like on a projection side, there's, you know, lining up the, the, the colors, lining up the crosshairs, lining, there's so much more stuff you guys do behind the scenes that we can't even get to. And it can actually uh, take a really good picture and just crisp it up just a, just that little bit more. That's, that's actually not as true as it used to be. So going back to the early 2000s, you used to have, uh, Projectors then were, you know, a lot of analog. It was kind of the digital transition point mm -hmm. where you were starting to see early digital versus the three gun CRT kind of stuff mm -hmm. like that. Now, you know, I, I did a little bit of work back then, but that was kind of when I was coming into it. Thank God. Cause I don't, <laughs> that is just so much actual mechanical hands on. Like you got to focus each gun. There was, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that were done. Um, the new ones. It doesn't really work like that. You know, it's usually a single lens system. So, yes, I can go in. You know, there's guys that are like, I had my projector professionally installed. It's all level and everything like that. And I get there and I'm like, yeah, but it's not it's not actually aligned to the screen, which is right. more important than being level. <laughs> so then you, you're tinkering with that if it needs to be tinkered with. But like, you know, like convergence, great one. You know, like back in the day, you had to actually, you know, move and, you know, you know, converge three different lenses to overline on top of each other. Well, nowadays, you know, like, um, let's say I'm working on a JVC. It's a three uh, DILA panels in there, red, green, and blue. Mm. But those panels are actually fixed into place. So if you go in and you adjust the convergence on there, you're actually not moving anything like we okay. used to, where we're like aligning, you know, this gun to this gun. So what happens is, is that, you know, they usually use green as the, as the, like the reference point in there. Mm -hmm. And that's because green is the majority of the light you see from a, an RGB, you know, light engine. It creates, it's the one that we're most sensitive to of the colors. Okay. So then you have your red and your blue and all it is, is how it scans. So you, you have to think about it. It's a digital thing. It says, I'm going to scan this line, scan this line and scan this line. So red, green, blue, and those are supposed to overlap, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just where they're starting that scan point on the chip. So if you have your green as your reference and then they're scanning red and it actually is starting a little bit before or after it, it's it's not aligned properly. So all you're doing when you shift is telling it, nope, start on this line, not this line. Okay. And then hoping that they line up appropriately for each other. And then they have ones where they like do uh, what people call like fine, where it's like moving in more than one pixel at a time. And that's just called, that's color blending. Mm -hmm. So they're actually not moving that line halfway between this scan line and this scan line. They're doing a blend where they're doing a little more red on this one and a little less red so that it uh, it looks like it's there, but in reality, it's not. Right. So, so when you start doing that, there's actually cases where because you're engaging some kind of scaling, it can actually hurt the image. And again, like if you don't know these things, it's mm -hmm. like the little, 
the ins and outs and stuff of that. Um, so, and then like, there's some people that confuse convergence issues where they see like bleeding and they're like, oh, it's not quite a line when in reality, it's just that color isn't as focused as the other color. So like when I do convergence at a a client's house, I do it at the end. I know that the lens is fully warmed up and everything else because each lens has different elements in it and those warm up at a different rate. So that, that can affect your focus. I actually make it where it's as far out of convergence as possible. Mm -hmm. And then I focus with that so that I'm seeing all three colors at the same time and making sure that if I focus it tightly, that all three colors are focused tightly. Sometimes you can get, two out of the three to focus really good and the other one's a little off but you might find that just a little tweak will get that better while only hurting the others slightly right so you're trying to find that that point but let's say that to get this one focused you're going to really have to make these bad so then you have to find that spot and then once i get them all focused and then realigned that's why i see the bleed over it's not because it's a convergence issue it's Mm -hmm. because it's a focus issue right Again, all things that like most people don't really think about or may not know the intricacies of it, that's bringing a guy in to do those kind of things. So that's about the only mechanical adjustment that we do. Outside of that, it's usually a focus on your white uniformity, you know, white, you know, your white point, your grayscale and your gamma and your color accuracy, the things that make up the majority of the image that you're seeing. So exactly. And every, everything you just said about the, um, convergence right and like yeah okay i do the same thing and if we have time we can touch on it but it's like when i do my adjustments like or it's a great idea to go into your spears and muscle or your video essentials and Mm -hmm. if you do want to play with something and you want to learn what each of those test patterns means remember your settings on your display and just go hog wild, go as far to the left, go as far to the right. And then, but just because right. you can always bring it back, but you'll see how those things play exactly what you were saying with convergence. But think I, I've seen Jim do it here many, many times over the last 20 plus years. And it's the same thing. Every, it, everything is a compromise to get the next thing to line up right. Like, so when you're doing your three colors, you know, you're, you're trying to dial in the colors, right? And you've got your triangle going and you're like, I can pull this in here. But if I pull, I finally got the, the red, we'll call it. I got that right. But now the blue's way off because they all affect each. And you're like, oh no. And those are the little details. If you ever, if you haven't seen a calibrator go through this, you really don't appreciate what you're getting. And it's like to see all that, it's like, yes, today's displays are so much better, but there is still a little bit of room to tweak in there. And for that peace of mind, I think it's worth it because then what, what, like you said, it's like, I know this is right. And like when I go to watch Asteroid City, I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. Are my colors blown out? What happened? Is my projector broken? I mean, soon as you fire that up, if you don't have a calibrate, if you haven't been calibrated, you're like, you don't know. Oh no. Did my, is my bulb dead? What happened here? Cause you know, have you seen that one? It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, Wes Anderson movies always very stylized. Yeah. And it's, you're like, Oh, and it's, and like you said, it's like how many times I do the same thing. I'm like, I'll jump out of a movie because I'm like, Damn, this doesn't, then you go to a movie you like and you're like, all right, I'm back to normal. I, I understand it, even though I have had a calibration. And so I know people that haven't had it, they're doing the same thing. And one of the ones that now this came up on the socials and my buddy Todd from AV Nirvana, I think you know him. He, he 
said, uh, somebody had said something about flesh tones and Todd, it was like, if your flesh tones look good, you should be all set. And I'm like, and I've, I've said it to him. I'm not talking behind his back, but I'm like, that's like the worst thing you can say on social media because there's no definition. You can't adjust your display based on the scenes that you see in movies because like we said with asteroid city or any of the, how do you know how they wanted those flesh tones to look and it's Correct. the calibration that dials that in so you know that whichever particular piece of content you're watching that's how they wanted it right and it's yeah because almost almost any raw photography it doesn't matter like a movie anything like that no matter what the colorist has gone in and tinkered with it, you know, they, they use, you know, their own LUT there and things like that. So yeah, unless you know, you have a standing reference that tells you that like, this should look exactly like this. And then you were trying to eyeball it, you know? Um, but no, that, that, that's usually not a good way to go is, you know, now I usually tell like, you know, I'll have clients that'll be like, Hey, when should I get my next calibration from you? Is it every hundred hours, 500 hours, a thousand hours and stuff like that? I don't really generally tell them. I say, Hey, look at if you want to keep it in Cal, probably, you know, again, depending on the display technology, let's just say you probably don't want to go more than maybe a thousand hours because I know the shift will be enough at that point. But I said that, you know, you could always look at, um, references of that so this kind of goes to that if you're watching stuff after i leave and everything looks good and natural and everything but then over time you know you're a, a year away you know you're a year out from the last time i came there and you're just noticing that every time you watch anything that has like lots of whites like clouds and stuff and they're like they're red green or blue or people's faces in most of what you watch are reddish or bluish or look weird, not just one show, but like most shows, you're starting to notice that that's probably because it's drifted enough that you're seeing enough error, you know, in, in things that you know, the way they generally should look um, and stuff like that. Cause we're more sensitive to like, you know, the, the, the faces is a, is a decent one because we know what flesh tones generally look like. Right. So again, if you put up one movie like Asteroid City, you can't use that as a thing. But if you're like, God, every time I watch something, everybody looks to this or to right. that, that probably means it's off. Yeah. Um, and it's a gradual thing too. It, it, it it's I very mean, gradual and we adapt to that gradual, yep. that, that gradualness. So it's not something like as you gain error, it just goes, you know, and it's there. It's so slow and we adapt to that over time. So it's one of those things that a lot of people don't realize how far off it is because they've just slowly gotten accustomed to that. And our eyes are really good at that. Our brain does that. It fills in those to a, to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, going back to kind of what you were saying before, another thing is, you know, you brought up like the Spears and Munzel, you know, there's like the, um, there's like this disc is, uh, you know, just came out the new three yeah, disc the new one. one. Yep. There's the older one. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see like, you know, like THX calibrator discs and, yeah. you know, there's been stuff all over, you know, all, all over time. The other thing with that is that, um, when you get around people that are enthusiasts or guys that kind of like to DIY it a little bit, um, I find that um, most of that is kind of learned like, oh, they pick up some things that they heard on a forum or, you know, they they go on here, you know, like the Spears of Munzel has an info screen that says, you, you know, this pattern is used for this and do this. 
But the thing about that is that it, it turns calibration a little more black and white than I think it should be. And, and you know, I say this, you know, with like, uh, so like, you know, Spears and Munzel, you know, that's Stacy Spears and Don Munzel. Mm-hmm. Stacy Spears literally will be at my house in six and a half hours because he's a friend of mine, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. and, and, um, um, I've talked to them about this, that there is, there is something that as you get more and more into this and, you know, like have been in it for a while that you learn that it isn't always as black and white as most people kind of make it out to be. So hmm. if I was to set up a TV and dogmatically go through each of those test patterns and try to make it look perfect with those test patterns, there is the chance that you can actually make the video you watch worse. Hmm. Now I know that sounds like it would be like, well, then what's the point of the calibration disc? But there's things like um, edge enhancement and things. So like if you bring up a pattern in Spears and Munzel that says this is a sharpness pattern and oh. you should adjust the sharpness of your TV, like the sharpness setting or make sure all those are turned off. But you'll see like a little bit of ringing around, you know, a, a black and white transition or a black and gray transition. And people are like, oh, my God, you got to you got to turn that down until you do that. Well, the problem with that is that the pattern is a single pixel pattern, which works at the Nyquist rate of your display, if it can even resolve at Nyquist. But the problem is, is that 99.9% of what you watch is nowhere near that high of resolution. It's showing you what the display is capable of, but you got to think like what you watch has already been compressed for whatever format it is. It doesn't matter if it's a disc or if it's streaming, they're all compressed. It's just how much they're compressed. And then usually one of the first steps in compression is that they high pass filter so that they take away all that really high edge detail because at the end of the day, we don't see it as much because they know our display system doesn't show it as much. But it also makes it where the random noise kind of goes away that's hard for compressors and things like that. So sometimes adding a little bit of sharpness in, depending on the type of display that you have or things like that, can actually bring back some of that detail that's essentially robbed from the motion or from the compression. And I'm not saying like, you know, you know, egregious amounts of anything are bad, you know, um, but just knowing that like, it's not always black and white. There's lots of gray areas for that kind of thing, you know, where some test discs, I think they, they give you these like perfect montages and stuff to look at, like here's perfect video so that you can see if your display shows this perfectly. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if I show that, and then I show like real content, like TV shows, movies on disc or whatever, you know, then I can't, it, it, that might not look like that. Right. Um, so it's, it, it's one of those things, uh, that, what you know, happened again, there? that no <laughs> one you just gave yourself a thumbs up. Oh, this. Yeah. How'd that happen? No, it's, I, I use my iPhone for oh. the video and it has the ability, like oh. I can sit here and talk about like, uh, Hey, you know, because of this video, I just got five new signups for my thing. Yeah. Oh, you know, so they, it, it, uh, if you use an iPhone with, uh, for video, they have all these things yeah. that you can add. I forgot, like, it, if I go, like, I don't like your, 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 your thing at all here, it should do it for that too. I think it does like a thumbs down. I banned that or something one. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. It, no. it automatically detected because it saw my finger there. So. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I've, I've been trying yeah. to figure that out. And it, it happens to me every now and then. I couldn't, none of us could figure out what was going on. And it's usually when I'm using yeah. my MacBook to stream. But, uh, okay. Yeah. We got sidetracked there. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Squirrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, those test patterns that gets into like, so Chris Brown, he's the one that kicked all this off weeks and weeks ago. He's like Spears and Munsell has a flesh tone test. He's saying in the chat and it's like, and yeah, they, they, there are flesh tone tests. There are pattern, there are displays. Like we all know, like the horses, the mountains on the Spears and Munsell, right? The, the yep. I think it's a basket of fruit on video essentials or whatever, or the people dining. Mm-hmm. Those are great. But it's you, like Jim, my guy, like you're the ones that know what those are supposed to look like in the first place. Right. And we're right. all just like, I think this is good. <laughs> like, yeah, we do all the little no, things, but, they, but they're a, but they're a good reference. Like you know, like in the new Spears of Munzel, there's literally a section that's I think it's called Faces, where it just goes, mm. you know, it shows what you know, and they're all different. Uh, um, you know, you know, there's a Caucasian girl, there's a black girl, there's a you know a Chinese girl. So you see that. Um, I, I don't think it's you know again like I wouldn't know exactly what it is because again they're lighting it, they're doing all mm. these different things to it, they're grading it, so. I've never met any of those women. And honestly, like most of the time, even if you had a natural photograph, it would probably look different than video does because oh, yeah. video always has more of a contrasty look than real life does. Um, but I think if you had, you know, you just went to Costco and bought an LG TV that does HDR and you played those faces, you should be able to figure out which picture mode clearly is not right. Right. You know, the the one that is wrong so that you could say, OK, there are six different picture modes on this LG. I'm looking at these faces. This one is clearly not right. This one's not right. This one's uh, this one's OK. This one. Oh, everybody looks fairly natural. I think those are good for those kind of things where you you know what I mean? Like it's like it's separating the like clearly wrong from like, oh, this looks passable you know, or something like that, as opposed to having a pro in where it's like, no, this is exactly what it's supposed to look like. Right. So, yeah. Ex- and, and again, getting back to exactly what you said before, it's that peace of mind. We're, we're going to keep yeah. going back to that because I've yeah. said to people, like, if, if you don't care, it's not for you. If you exactly. don't even, if, if you're watching and it doesn't bother you, you're not like, you're not even, you think it looks great anyways. It's not for you. Because especially yeah. nowadays, you really would be, you'd be, you'd probably be disappointed if you heard like DJ and Chris tell you you needed to get a calibration and you're like, all right, and you did it, you'd probably be disappointed because you didn't have that enthusiasm to, to one sit there and, and watch and learn and not that you're going to be able to do it, but just learn the process, learn what goes into it. And then also have that peace of mind after the fact knowing. So that, that's what's super important. Um, I, I got a few questions here from, I got emails sure, sure. and I got some up here, but here's one from PK. He emailed this one. He goes, do, do most customers who opt for calibration know actually what it means or just a wealthy client throwing away money to get the best? <laughs> Uh, I would say that the majority are people that know what it means. I, I do get the occasional person that's just like, hey, I heard that I should get this done. And they they have the means that it, you know, it's probably doesn't really matter that much to them monetarily. Um, I do get the skeptical people like you know, Texas. Great example. I had two different guys <laughs> that signed up that were like, hey, I keep hearing I need to do this. I don't really see. I don't really think it's going to really make that much difference. I think it looks great. And Thankfully, at the end, both of them were like, wow, this was quite a bit better than I was expecting it to be, or it made a, you know, a a substantial visible difference for them. 
you know, and then other people, I get them and like, as like, well, this display really wasn't that far off, but now, you know, I got it a little bit lower than it was, but I always make it a point at the end when I, you know, I actually create a report that goes over all the things that were adjusted and I sit down and like, okay, do you know what calibration is, you know, how it's done? And like, they're like, no, you know, or like, okay, this is what it is. This is the measurement. This is, you know, like the, the frame of mind you have to keep for how much air really is, you know, visible versus not visible. So I show them, this is where you were. This is what your tracking was. And you could see, this is why you had error. And then here it is after I calibrated it. Now you're at this and stuff so that I, they, you know, I hope that they at least understand the information being given to them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we'll go through some content and things like that. But, you know, ultimately, like I said, it's just knowing that when the person leaves, if they did a good job and hopefully they did that, you know, it, it is what it's supposed to be so that you don't have to wonder about, you know, is it right? Is it wrong? Do I have this set up? I, I mean, even outside of the calibration part, I would say 95% of the time when I go into a place, it's not even just the calibration of like color, grayscale, gamma, and things like that. It's like, well, you have four sources here. You have a Blu-ray player, two streaming boxes and this, and they're all not even set up properly. You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, that setting was wrong. This setting was wrong. Hey, did you know that, you know, you have a 4K streaming box here and you're not getting anything more than 1080 out of it? Or, hey, yeah, you know, you've been watching all of this stuff in stereo and all channel up mix as opposed to actually getting Atmos or whatever. And, and, and again, like I would expect that for like, if I went to my mom and dad's house, you know, they don't know anything about any of this stuff, but you would be blown away by how many people that are enthusiasts that, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, like they spent clearly spent time. And then you find the stuff that's like the, you know, the low hanging fruit stuff isn't yeah. even right. Yeah. And stuff like that. It's so. And no, and those are the people populating the internet with their opinions and their directions. And, and yeah. as I've said to everybody, I mean, the internet has, I wish it was 50 50, but let's be positive and say it's 50 50 good and 50 50 bad. But if you're the one yeah. typing in the question, you don't know which one's which. And that's yeah. what, that's what's so difficult, right? And it's like, you, you, so I would say, get, just to get back to that question, it's like, I would say the people, the wealthy people, they don't even know. I know in Jim's case, uh, most of the time, they don't even know you're coming in. That's done by the people building the yes, room. Yes, usually for, done by a CI. Yeah. yeah so yeah. they, they went and worked with some custom installer and they mm -hmm. said, okay, we're going to do all this and we're going to bring in this calibrator to do that. And, and, I get I get some of that work. I would probably say that represents less than five percent of my right. work total. That's a line um, item on their invoice. Oh, Chris, they're in calibration. That's all it is to them. They don't even know what they're getting. It's a line item they that's don't know probably who you, been marked yeah. up by the CI. <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah, they're the ones where I walk into a room. Oh. The the CI guy is there, and they're like, in like, hey, you know, just this is Chris. He's going to make sure this looks all great and stuff. And they're like, okay, cool. And you know what I mean, as yeah. opposed to. The enthusiasts that walk that I come in the door and they're like, Oh my God, you're Chris. I've been right. reading your stuff for 20 years and I can't believe you're in my house and stuff like that. It's, I get, I get both swings. Yeah. So yeah. who are you? And, uh, Oh my God, yeah. it's you. <laughs> yeah. I had one in another one in Texas. The guy was just like, he, he was outside in his driveway when I was pulling up all excited and he gets in the house and, and his wife is there and his two kids and they're like, and he's like, Oh, this is Chris. And the wife's like, man, he has not 
all week. All he's talking about is Chris is going to be here. Chris, he's like, he describes you as the Taylor Swift of audio video yeah. calibration stuff. And I was just like, I haven't heard that one before. I told my wife that she laughed. She's like, that needs to go on your website. <laughs> it, 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 exactly. But, uh, but it's true but again, though. Like it's exactly like what you're talking stars. about though. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, that's what I mean is though, like you'll get the guys that like it, Hey, I was told that you're going to come to my house and do this. And like, just let me know when you're done versus, you know, again, the enthusiast that's just sitting there and he's just like, this is awesome. And they want to see it and the process and, yeah. you know, talk your ear off the whole time, asking you all these questions because you're in the room and stuff like that. So, and I, I enjoy both, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to make sure it's right when I leave. Right. So, And I, I said it the last time you're on, it bears repeating every time we talk about this. Um, let's get into a little how you choose a good calibrator, how you know you're getting a good calibrator. And my advice is always, uh, if the guy doesn't want you in the room, that's not a good calibrator. If he tells you you've got to leave because he doesn't want you to watch, he doesn't want you to do anything. In my opinion, I'm like, what is he hiding? And it's like, I, it, like, I want somebody that's going to communicate with you. That's like you said, like explain things to you, like, especially at the end. And I just feel like if, if somebody tells you to leave and, and, and leave you, leave them alone, I feel like that's just, it leaves, it's too much of a uh, conflict of interest there where they could just, cause it is such a finely detailed thing that at the end they could just be like, here's what I did. And you'd be like, Oh, well, great. But in, in, it's watching it and learning and and seeing how difficult it is and how many little settings it takes to get it right to give you that appreciation um but yeah how how would you recommend people cuz they can't all get Chris Deering right so it's yeah. like i mean it's hard that's the the hardest question jim's answer was isf foundation go there and they have good ones around and pk had another one it's like do you try to find somebody with like senior experience or can you, is, is a newer person just as good? How exactly do you go vetting these people? Like it, it, and it's difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. I honestly don't have a good answer for this one. Um, uh, so I only started offering calibration services in the last five years. I've been doing, you know, AV work professionally for over 20 now um, I've been able to do calibration work for, I mean, probably at least 15 years of that, if not more, where I started, you know, like, again, I have an engineering background where I was like, okay, you need to have these tools. If I'm going to do this kind of testing, I need to be able to, you know, do these things. Cause as I started, you know, doing reviews and testing equipment, I realized very quickly that like the only way to properly do this was to measure things and things like that, you know, because you have to know where you're starting from to be able to see, you know, different things and stuff like that. Um, I started getting around some of the I, early on. I had a lot of mentorship from really good people that have a color science background. Again, Stacy's a friend of mine, you know, met him really early on. I was like a sponge with him. Uh, another one is Michael Chen. He's out of the Vancouver, Canada area, phenomenal calibrator, but he started having a family. And I think he's kind of like me. He just was like, I could just stay in my little bubble here. He started, uh, the THX calibration, um, certification program with Greg Lowen. Greg Lowen is still a traveling calibrator, but Michael and him were the ones that kind of started that THX program. That program doesn't exist anymore. Now, uh, Greg started up his own thing that's called the PVA, which is kind of like a, another version of the ISF. 
Um, but I started noticing, you know, I started thinking about it when I, a couple of years before I started this business, I was like, you know, there's only so many people out here doing this. And it is an industry where like, there isn't anybody standing over your shoulder, making sure that the calibrator truly knows all the ins and outs and things like that. Now, obviously there's, you know, ISF and it's like, okay, well, they got an ISF certification and stuff, but I went through the ISF training and, you know, it, it, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I also kind of, a it's kind of like, okay, well, my daughter got her driver's license, but I don't know if I would trust her to do, you know, like an F1 race, let alone, you know, a lot of other things like, you know, she knows the basics, she can do it. Now, they're a little bit more than that, but, you know... I mean, when I went through the ISF class, one of the first things that somebody in the audience asked the instructor was, hey, I don't understand gamma. Can you explain it to me? And I just watched that instructor sit there and try to fumble his way through something that he clearly didn't know an answer to. And I'm like, oh, my God, this isn't even hard image science stuff yet. Right. Um, so so again, like, you know, I'm not saying every ISF instructor wouldn't be able to answer that or whatever else, but I'm just saying that. Sometimes just because you have that doesn't mean it's right. And again, when that person's in the room, you're hiring a professional to come in and you're just, you're like, well, I assume he's, he or she knows, you know, how to do this properly because that says that he's ISF or whatever else. But ultimately, you know, you could get somebody that's like the used car salesman, like, man, I've never seen a display as good as this display is, man man, this is the best calibration I've ever done. You know, oh, here's your report. You don't even need to look at it. Well, in reality, that report is the same report he's been giving to everybody over right. the last 20 years. You it's know what I mean? Full, like, full of them. <laughs> you know, so I, I would say that if you're going to to hire somebody, you know, reputation, definitely, you know, there are some, you know, great traveling calibrators out there that have built a name, you know, over the years look for ones that not only have built a name with like, you know, random guys on the forums, but look at like the guys that have been out there doing stuff in the industry, you know, like, oh, they were a consultant for, you know, this, or they helped write uh, white papers for, you know, one of the industry standards things, those kind of things. Cause if, you know, it, I look at it as me, like if I'm going to go down to Los Angeles and, you know, I think the last four times I've been down there, I end up, I always end up doing a calibration. There's a guy out there that used to work at Harmon and he's really good friends with Joe Kane and anybody that knows anything about, you know, image science, Joe Kane is, you know, essentially like chiseled into the Mount Rushmore of image science, right? I've sat there and calibrated with him in the room and we're talking about video stuff and he's asking you know, stuff like that. Like I've looked at it as like, okay, if you know, Joe, you know that his BS meter would go off immediately. If he's like, you don't know what the hell you're talking mm. about or anything like that. That's Jim. So look at the people. Yeah. That's so Jim, look Cause at they're the good friends. He, they, he yeah, can't, like you said exactly. with Stacy Spears and you're like, exactly. it's not, it's not a coincidence. You came up with them. Joe yeah. and Jim came up together and went to school. And it's like the first thing when I met Jim as he walks in and I had, I had the the video essentials laser disc. I had the DVD and he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like, and he would tell you all that, but Jim's the exact same way at, as, as Joe. And it's like that, that BS part. That's why he doesn't want to, that's why Jim doesn't want to come on. He just doesn't want to hear it. And it's like, yeah, yeah. and he, he knows it. And he's like, you're not the industry 
expert. Yeah. You're the, you know, you're asking me and now you're telling me this. And it's, yeah, and yeah. I know he's, he's like, cause I've asked, I've asked Jim to get Joe on. I was like, can we, and he's like, Hmm, I don't know if you want that. <laughs> I was like, I would love it. And, <laughs> and I've seen Joe on, I've seen him talking with mm-hmm. stuff and highly technical, high, super smart. But like yeah. you said, it's like, there's it, it you can't, you need that. And that's, what's interesting too, is you need somebody, you're, you're that unique personality, I should say, that has like, you're, you're technically engineering smart, but you have the personality to, to sit with these people and talk with these people. Whereas maybe Joe's a little bit more towards Jim's side where it's like, okay, if, if as long as you agree with Jim, you're good. <laughs> it's like, you're right. It's when you don't. And it's like, I'll be like, what if I want to do this? And he goes, you can do what you want and I'll always help you out. You're my buddy, but no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's no. wrong. It's like, okay. But that's what I would look for is, you know, again, people that, you know, uh, there's, there's calibers out there that have a reputation. They've been around a lot, but it's also look at their interactions. Like, you know, again, and I'm not saying that you have to have that. I mean, I'm sure there's guys that are out there. There's smart guys that have figured it out and can do a good job that don't have bona fides or things like that. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, throw anybody under a bus, but I'm saying that like, it's no coincidence that you will start to hear similar names over and over again. If you start looking into mm-hmm. the calibration world and you'll see that they have a lot of experience and a lot of things where if they didn't know what they were doing, they would have been kind of, you know, pushed right. out. Like they wouldn't have that kind of interaction and stuff like that. So that's a good way to go with it. Um, but, you know, again, there's guys that are just like, hey, I've, I've got a program and I've got a meter and, you know, I'll come over on this weekend and do it. And, you know, you you might get great results. You might not, you know, at the end of the day. Um, so it's like anything else. Yeah. You know, you never you never know what you're going to get. You might find that that one local plumber that's amazing and probably could teach a master's class in plumbing. And you might get the other one that watched a lot of YouTube videos and, you know, he might get it done to a degree, but. Yeah. <laughs> Keep buckets handy. Um, yeah. Is it, do you, um, is there like a mentorship? Do you talk to, do calibrators reach out to you and, and, uh, and like, you know, as they're no, coming No, I, I don't, I don't do anything. Um, I've talked to guys that are coming up that have asked questions like, Hey, how do I learn this? And how do I do this? And stuff like that. I've, I've told them like, you know, you know, there's books that are out. Uh, there's some books out there. Um, you know, go to an ISF class, you know, go to a PVA class or, or something like that. Um, the thing that I find is, is like, you know, those kind of, again, I haven't been to a PVA class, so I don't know how Greg's uh, stuff goes, but like the ISF, when I went to it, it was very kind of like, you will do this, you will use this workflow, you will do this and, and stuff like that. Um, I find that, you know, with anything like this, having a questioning kind of attitude, like, it's really easy. It's like I was saying, it's really easy to learn the black and white portion of it. But mm. then you start learning that like, that isn't always exactly right. That, you know, start thinking a little bit outside the box. Think about the application. It's like learning math. I can teach my, you know, six-year-old how to use addition. What's five plus five, honey? Oh, it's 10. What's this or what this or math or anything like that. And then I go, okay, well, what's an application you could use that math for? You know right. what I mean? And, and so image science is kind of like that. You can learn the basic 
you know, like the black and white portion of it, but then learning the application and realizing how it relates to other content. And I've even got on to Joe Kane about this. I think the last time I saw him, we were looking at some content that he had made recently that just looked phenomenal. It was just, you know, because Joe always just makes perfect video, you know, and stuff like that. And he does, you know, he makes sure he's going out of his way so that everything is perfect. So we were, I was talking to him about it. I said, well, if I calibrate a display and then use your video to make sure everything is just right, it goes back to that thing again. Like, well, is my job to make Joe's content look perfect or try to make the content you're actually going to watch look right, look, look better, right? you know, and, and stuff like that. When it comes to, I mean, the calibration side, the color and grayscale should all be the same, but like some other like little image enhancements here and there that will immediately start to to create artifacts in Joe's stuff because it's so pristine. Right. But I told Joe, I'm like, look at if we lived in a perfect world where everybody mastered their stuff like you do, Joe, I'd be all about this, but I have to think about what he's actually going to watch. I don't think that, you know, I'm going to get my buddies together this Friday night to watch test patterns and (laughs) demo montages. We're going to probably try and watch the fifth element or, you know, another movie like that where there's all kinds of things that have happened to it that didn't happen with yours. And I even get with that with Stacy because obviously he makes his own stuff still. Like, they kind of have this, like, it's supposed to be this. And I agree 100% that it is supposed to be. But then the reality is is that it's actually a little more, you know, yeah, a, a modulus, you know. Yeah, and that's it, it's funny hearing you talk about Joe because it sounds just like Jim. It's like me talking with Jim and it's like, yeah, Joe is very like, it is mm-hmm. this. And if it's not this, it's wrong. And he is right. I I, I don't I, disagree with that, but th- how many things in the world can we say that about? Like, but you have, it's like, I, I get it. Like everything should be, you know, from an engineering standpoint, my wife is kind of like that. Like, yes, everybody should drive exactly, you know, perfect because there's all these rules, but nobody does that. So you have to kind of, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's when you, where you get into oh man, it, so much of the nitty gritty and that we, we like to take in as enthusiasts, anybody watching this or listening to this later, it's that's, there's a reason you're here is you get into that nitty gritty and there's so much of it when you get into a video calibration that is objective Right. That's like and like you said earlier, it's like it is defined. So that's why we can get a an accurate video calibration. And then if you want to tune to taste, you can and you'll know how far off you're going to be. Or to your point, like, okay, so Joe Kane is telling you this is exactly where it needs to be. And then, yeah, but that's not my and in like you're saying that might not play well with 90% of the content. So this is what you need to do to make it all look consistently very, very good to the best ability of your particular display. Right. And each display has its own ups and, uh, you know, ups and downs. Um, Let's get to a couple of questions here that we've got. Um, This one here is a, can Chris explain tracking EOTF? That's something I don't really understand. Uh, sure. Um, so from uh, you have a- sorry, you have SDR video, what we've had for forever and a day, and you have HDR video. 
Um, EOTF is kind of like a word. Uh, usually that when people are talking about EOTF tracking, it's similar to gamma. So all gamma is, is you measure a white point. So let's say my white point is a hundred nits and I measure my black and my black is zero, zero signal. Okay. That's a perfect world kind of thing. Gamma is the tracking as it comes out of black at this point. It's supposed to be this bright. And there's usually a formula. So if you pick a, a 2.2 or a 2.4 or whatever, you know, you'll usually see those numbers. It's telling you that exponentially it should go up this much brightness, this much brightness until it gets to 100 so that you have an even dispersion of increase in brightness. I mean, that's just, you mm-hmm. know, real, real thing. So EOT, so gamma in SDR is uh, a relative display. So I can actually say that like, hey, I'm in this room that you guys are seeing here. Lots of light. I got light coming in from this window over here. I've got all this. So as I'm watching a TV, the light in this room is affecting how I'm going to perceive it because my eyes are dilated a certain amount. There's a certain amount of washout effect. So I might choose a gamma that makes it, you know, one versus the other, like more contrasty, less contrasty, coming out of black faster, things like that. So I can adapt the image to the viewing environment. Mm -hmm. And you can do all these different gammas and they're all right because they're all relative. EOTF and HDR, which is the dumbest thing that they could have done. It's like an engineer's dream, but like in a real world environment, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) Um, and anybody who wants to quote me on that, we can have a sit down and talk about it. But EOTF is what's called essentially an absolute gamma. So when you have HDR video, let's say you have a, something that was uh, mastered to a thousand nits. Remember we talked about, okay, now you have a thousand nits for your white and black is at zero. It is an absolute point. So if you have something that is five nits, it is shown at five nits. 10 nits. It is literally an absolute curve where everything is supposed to be exactly where it is on that curve. So if I, if I measure an EOTF curve, it should track from zero to a thousand nits perfectly to be correct. There is no skew. Now, usually you'll see like a, a, a fall off at the end if the display can't quite do it and it'll do like a, a gentle roll off as opposed to a hard clip at whatever point that is. Mm-hmm. But that's how it works. So in HDR, everything is absolute. So if I'm watching in this room with these lights on and these windows, um, it's the same as if I watch it in a completely perfect controlled dark room. But what that does is, is as you're watching content, if I'm watching like Game of Thrones, let's say I'm watching a dark episode of Game of Thrones. If I have a relative gamma like SDR had, I can adapt that gamma curve so that like the darker scenes I could actually be able to see because it's actually going to raise those levels Mm -hmm. up. But it's going to compensate the whole curve for that to try to comp to make it where it all looks even, even though the bottom is raised up. Where in EOTF, it's like, Hey, those scenes, there's like nothing in this entire, this entire part, like the next 15 minutes, that's more than 10 nits. And you won't be able to see any of it in this room because the the lights in the room are overdo that. Um, they're starting to try to come out with modes that'll, that'll kind of mess with that. Like there's Dolby Vision Bright versus Dolby Vision Reference and all this other stuff. But usually that's just some kind of form of compression. 
but it was a format that like again it, it's like it's the 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 greatest thing ever if you're in a mastering suite that's all light controlled and perfect and stuff like that but in a real world application it just doesn't work that well um and unfortunately that's what we're stuck with um that's why people like when hdr first came out especially people with like flat panels in a family room they're like why is it always dark it's dark it's dark it's dark well they were used to watching most of the video that's in that bottom range at three to four times the brightness that they're getting it when they watch the same thing in hdr so they're like why is everything dark i thought this is a bright format in reality it's a perfect mapping format that has more dynamic range from the top to the bottom but most of what you watch is in this bottom part and you're watching it at like a third or a fourth of the brightness you were watching it before on that same tv when you didn't have hdr so before we got a few other questions does video processing help with that is that like when we go to the mad vr and the lumagens is that does that help compensate for that is that what we're it getting can. they they have different things where um they might uh raise or lower that out um most of the time the video processing that you see for hdr in video processors like lumagens and you know mad vr and things like that they're more for mapping high dynamic range signals to lower dis, uh, nit displays. So mm. like projectors, you know, they, they're not going to do a thousand nits or 800 nits like a flat panel will. Mm. So now you're trying to take this signal that's this big dynamic range and kind of compress it down into a smaller range. They're really good at doing that. Okay. Um, they can manipulate an HDR signal to an extent, but, um, there's not a whole lot they can do on the bottom end for that uh, without raising everything up uh, and things like that. So they can help to a degree, but only to a degree. Okay. So that gets to like an OLED. Okay. So the next question, Mike, Mikey Schramm here says, I just got here. Can't wait to rewatch from the beginning. I've always wondered if calibrating my OLED would be worth it. Um, we spoke a lot. Like you said, you do a lot of projections, uh, projectors. I'm sorry. Um, and with everything you just said about EOTF and all of that, like, t- can the you EOTF talk a little bit about prob- OLEDs? Yeah, the EOTF problem would actually be more relevant for a for an OLED than it would be for a projector because right. in a projector you're always doing tone mapping, so you're compressing mm-hmm. no matter what. That's where, what I mean, yeah. like, like I said, those Dolby Vision bright modes and stuff you're starting to see on OLEDs, that is to try to compress to make it brighter on an OLED where it's trying to track perfectly. So, um, will it, so again, this kind of gets back to that gray area kind of thing. Most OLEDs have a picture mode on them. That's fairly good. Um, can it be better? Yes. I can go in, like, I don't care which mode you pick on your, you know, let's say you have an LG OLED, you know, if you pick the perfect mode out of their modes that they have, it will be, you know, you know, really, really good. I can get it better. How much difference that is? Uh, well, it depends on, you know, like what it was from the factory and stuff like that. But again, you would know that it's right when I left. When I left, everything would be set up the way it's supposed to be set up. But if you do your due diligence and stuff and look online, there's people that do pretty good testing of things that will tell you that like, if you want a really accurate mode with that model, you can use mode X or whatever like that. And you're going to get a a really good result. 
And, and a lot of it is like how many people want to know that it is absolutely what it's supposed to be as opposed to like, oh, yeah, that, that's pretty good, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. But again, the flat panels, you know, especially the good ones, they're getting, you know, really, really good. Like They're getting to the point where there's usually a picture mode that is pretty damn close and stuff. Can it be better? Yes. But how much better it is, you know, compared to our visual acuity to be able to tell that it's wrong you know, and stuff yeah. like that. Cause we never have a reference. You're not sitting in your family room watching an OLED, you know, I don't care if it's a dark room, bright room or anything. And you're like, well, right there is what it's supposed to be perfectly. And I'm watching mine and it doesn't look right. We don't have that. Right. You know, that's why even when people throw around numbers for the amount of error that you should have from a calibration and stuff like that, like what you need your error rate to be under. Well, like that's still taking into account that you would actually know what it should be or have a reference. Right. You know, everything is based on this is what it is. This is what it should be. And it gives you an error, you know, how far off you are. But again, like if I have an error of one, which is, you know, fantastic, um, that's great. But if I have an error of five, you know, that, you know, some people would be like, oh, five. I can't believe you have a five. You know, like, well, it was like, yeah, but if you don't even know, like, what that's supposed to look like, five, there's probably very little of that image is going to, like, stand out as, like, uh, it doesn't look quite right. You right. know, a 10, probably a 10, you'd be like, yeah, you know, things are looking a little green, a little red, a little blue, you know, and stuff like that. But I also look at if I come in and calibrate, I'm going to try to get it down as low as I can, not because I think that there's a lot of difference between like a one and a three or even a four for like, you know, normal everyday practical uses with somebody that has no idea what it's actually supposed to look like. But I also know that the lower I get it, the more, the longer it's going to take before it's going to drift to where you would start noticing it. So, you know, if you wanted it to stay, you know, pretty good looking, you're going to stay at that point a lot longer than if you started off a little higher. Now, when you get into studio work, like if somebody hires me to go to calibrate a studio monitor, like an OLED at a studio, they need calibration because their calibration, their error is additive. So if I'm Chris Deering mastering guy at Sony Pictures for Blu-ray and I have two OLEDs that I use as my mastering thing and I'm actually doing the Blu-ray master or something like that, any error in my display is is baked in to the product. So then you, you know, like I decided this week I'm mastering a new version of the fifth element. And that being your favorite movie, you're like, Hey, I just got the fifth element, the new version and stuff like that. And you have a certain amount of error in your TV. Well, there is a baked in error from the display that was used to master it that now adds to your error. You see what I mean? It's an additive process. So they need their error to be like, insanely low right one so that it's correct but right, two so it's not passed on to the consumer to add to their right. already that's the copy yeah. of a copy of a copy type thing exactly right. it's all additive yeah yeah so in it, but and that's the thing it's and like you i think you touched on it a, a minute ago it's the differences are so it's so fine and it can be it, it depends can on the be. system it depends on your system, but you need to, and I hate to say it, but it's like you need to learn what you don't know <laughs> before to, to appreciate it, right? So it's like if you're thinking about doing it, about getting a calibration, keep thinking, 
right? Keep keep researching. Keep wondering if you should because eventually it'll come to a day where you'll be like, that's it. It's bugging me. I need to know. And you'll and then you'll be motivated and you'll be happy that you did it because at the end you might be like, wow, that is a very little difference, but I'm glad I did it. You know, and it's like, it's like the last thing I want people to do is just to be like, well, I heard this is a good idea, but I mean, you said you did two of them in Texas like that and it, and it worked out. So that, yeah. that's good news. Um, yeah. here's a question. Like I said, flat pan, flat panels is a, a, is a really small percentage of my work. So I don't, I don't do, but I, I find that they are again, picking the right mode and everything like that will get you a lot of the way there. I feel like, and I'm just spitballing here. I'm feeling like flat panels are the, a good reason for a calibrator, and this is just my opinion, is when you're using a flat panel, you're not probably in a dedicated room like you are with a projector. And Very so, rarely. Right. So you're dealing with multiple environments, right? You're yep. daylight, nighttime. Day mode, light mode, right. making sure the gamma is right for that kind of room condition versus the other. Yes. Things so like that. Yeah. here's where getting a professional calibrator in, he'll help you – one, set all those up and explain to you why, like, oh, in the daytime, this is the best possible picture you can get. It's not going to yeah. be fantastic, but this is the best you can get with all of this extra light. When you turn the lights down, don't use that setting. Use this calibrated setting, this gamma curve. And the, you know what I mean? So it's like there's, there is a very good reason right there why you get one in as opposed to just looking on the internet and going, I don't know. And it's like, because when we do these things ourselves, that's what we're wondering if everything was right. Did I listen to the right person? Is this, you know, so that, yeah. that to me is, that's a different reason than in a, in a dedicated room where you set it and forget it. And it's like, okay, here we go. That's it. It's like, I know it's, mm -hmm. a, this is when I, where I watch movies and the lights are off, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, Andrew's question is, can a firmware update default some of your calibration settings? Uh, it can, and that's going to be display dependent. Um, there are some manufacturers, depending on what they do for the update, where it's not, I would say it's not typical, um, but where like they did a major revision to something and it will wipe the settings that are in there. Um, I would tell anybody if they are getting a professional calibration done and then, you know, a month later, six months later, a year later, there is an update for their display that they're they're concerned about whether or not that's going to hurt their calibration settings. Reach out to the calibrator. He should be mm -hmm. able to tell you, like, no, nope, you have nothing to worry about. It, it'll be fine. Um, uh, but uh, like I said, it is rare, but it has happened. Um the other thing I would tell anybody is that if you ever get a calibration done, don't reset your picture mode thinking that you can get it right back. I've had like four, thankfully not a lot, but I've had a few that like they saw something on the display and they thought that they might have set something wrong. And then they went in and they actually hit reset. Oh. And then they called me and they were like, hey, I hit reset. Did that? Did that wipe the stuff? And, oh, well, just hand me this, you know, give me the settings again. And I'm like, I don't have your settings. And why did you not think to ask me before you pushed the button if that was going to wipe the work that I did kind of thing? Right. <laughs> I would expect that this might have happened maybe once ever, but it's happened a few few times to me where I'm like, 
why did you yeah. do that before? Like, how long would it have taken you to just text me and said, hey, can I push this button? <laughs> you know, before I just uh, wiped out the, you know, however many hundreds of dollars of work that you did. Yeah. It, hey, how can I get that back? I'm like, well, I'll be on a tour there maybe in a few months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, remember that uh, invoice so, I gave you? You're getting another yeah. one. <laughs> um, but one thing you can always do, like we live in that age where pretty much all of us have a phone in our pocket. Yep. If you're worried about it, just take bring pictures. up your screens and take pictures. Yep. Um, that also is, you know, just depends because some calibration work is done in service menus or in other things like mm. that, where it's not just the settings that you see on the screen. Right. And in those cases, odds are that, uh, you know, you'll have to know if whether or not they wipe them or not. Most of the time, factory uh, updates won't wipe stuff that you do in service menus, but mm. they will sometimes blank out or zero out the stuff that's in the normal screens. And you should be able to just basically re-put those numbers in. I, I, I can't speak for every display out there, yeah. but um, I know, saw, more uh, often than not, it's rare that I see that happen. I saw the new JVC update. Uh, Youthman had it. He's already got the update. They gave it to him early, yep. and he said that the new JVCs you can offload. You can export your yeah. your settings just for that reason. If anything happens, you just, you can just pop in the you know the flash drive and upload your settings back onto it as a uh, safety type of feature or whatever for that. Yeah, because they don't have a thing that like if I go in and I adjust a JVC where I could say save settings and then you can say recall settings. Mm. Um, so if you go in and you change the setting, it just leaves whatever the last setting is that you went. So if you, you know, went in there, or your kid went in there or whatever, yeah. you would have a backup that you can just load that back in at any time and stuff like that. But um, yeah. yeah, like Epson has modes where you can save it to a memory. So that makes it where you can recall mm -hmm. it at any time. So you wouldn't need a USB stick for that. Sony doesn't have anything like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing something similar at some point, just because once somebody does it, somebody else yeah. usually does it too. I have a, I have a the two Sony two ninety five. I've never put an update on it, even before I had oh. the Lumigen. And it's like I didn't. Yeah. I, I don't even know if they do. do them. I do they, does Sony even do they them? Do. Oh, okay. They do updates. Yeah, yeah. Almost it, every manufacturer does, but again, you know, but they don't have any tone mapping, so it wasn't anything major that you're going to get. And once yeah. you have a video processor, it's you're, you'd be shutting all that off anyways. <laughs> Well, you never know. They might have had a bug that somebody reported that they're like, oh, you know, this is doing this wrong or that's doing mm -hmm. that wrong. So I would generally tell people more often than not to, you know, keep their stuff up to date. You can look at what, you know, a lot of times they'll advertise what the update is. So like in the JVCs yeah. one, yeah, they, they have a new tone map update. They have one for how they handle laser levels and then they have the the backup thing. So you know, but you also don't know, is there some bug fixes that are also baked into that that they didn't do or something like that? But I would also say anybody that ever had a pro calibration done, probably a good idea to just do the sanity check with that calibrator if you're not sure that right. like, hey, I know you did this, but there's this new firmware. If I load that, is it going to screw anything up? Right. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, that, and, and if that you can, care. Yeah. And that gets back to get a calibrator that you can, you know, have that relationship with, right? Mm -hmm. Not the guy that shows up and ghosts you the rest of the day. There you go. I got your money. And it's, you know. Right. Um, all right. Here, here's another one, uh, Chris, from Chris, uh, uh, hot 
topic, uh, because my, mm-hmm. one of my co-hosts, John, he also has an ultra short throw. So he, Chris says, I would like to know about ultra short throws as well. So how, have you done many of those? What's the logistics of that? How, you know, what do you think? They're displayed just like any other. I've only worked on a few of them. Um, most ultra short throws are based on DLP technology. There are a few LCD ones that Epson makes. Um, at the end of the day, they're just a projector. They're just projecting at it, obviously, an ultra short throw. Um, they usually are at a real steep angle to the screen. And, you know, ideally you have a screen that's designed for that because of the way the angles work so that they're more sensitive to that angle, which imparts its own kind of issues to it. Um so they would benefit from a calibration just like any other display would benefit from a calibration. The only thing is, is that the only thing that I'm always concerned about with DLP um, is a lot of DLPs, um, like uh, you know, these ultra short throws, they tend to be on the bright side. You know, they, they, they want a nice, bright, punchy picture for your family room, of course. Um, but DLP, most of the time, especially in smaller chassis stuff like this, use something that's known as brilliant color. It's just like a kind of a trick device that they use that has to do with the DLP wheel. Hmm. And if you want accuracy, you have to turn that off, which means that you're going to end up with an accurate picture that's a lot less bright. But if you want a bright picture, you're going to have to give up color accuracy. Now, subjectively, the image will probably look fine for most people, but just a caveat that some people need to be aware of, you know, again, it was designed by image scientists where they're like, look at, we know we're doing this cheap because we feel like the human visual system isn't going to notice it that much, but you will notice this. But if you're looking for a measurement and objective, you know, calibration, that is something that, you know, can be a kind of a hitch in there Mm -hmm. um, where it's like, well, you know, it is, it is what it is, but Again, I haven't worked on a lot of ultra short throws. Um, I have, you know, but the the few that I've worked on, you know, they have their quirks like anything else. It sounds it, it, much like I expected, like an OLED or a typical display. You're putting ultra short throws typically in a you know multi room. environment. You know, light conditions are a variable. So, would it be wor- another reason would be worth to? Can you shut that off for like? critical nighttime viewing when it's a dark room and now you're going to have accurate color you're going to have i mean your black levels everything is good but then i mean who cares if the colors are a little off or blown out when you're watching the football game or whatever during a sunday afternoon right and depends it's on like, how far off they are <laughs> well yeah, well if it's the nfl they're usually way off because it uh, comes out of the camera yeah. that way but i i do the same thing in my room it's like i don't if i'm in my dedicated room and I have a bunch of people over to watch a sporting event and the lights are on, I'm, you know, I'm vivid moving that thing out, you know, just, we're just watching sports. It's not critical viewing. So another reason would be just to get that education uh, and also get it dialed in, you know, just if if that, again, if you have that frame of mind Um, while you're on the uh, USTs, I know you and I talked about this a while ago when my buddy John was looking into it. What about ultra short throws and video processors? It's the same kind of thing. You know, again, an ultra short throw is a projector. Um, Projectors tend to benefit more from video processors, in my opinion, than TVs do, you know, like an OLED or something like that. I mean, anything can benefit from it, but I find 
it's one of those things that it is an investment. Mm. And I find that, you know, like if you're going to spend that much on something, you want to try to like, okay, does it make sense to spend this much more for something and certain setups needed a lot more than others. So I try to be pretty straightforward about that saying like, okay, well, what's your setup Uh, with that? Yeah, these are your benefits, but you know, depending on how critical you are, you might not really notice that much. Where some other guys, I'm like, oh yeah, a video processor would make a, a, a very noticeable difference in your day-to-day use and stuff like that. And again, I try to be pretty straightforward and honest about that because you know, I, I would hope that somebody would be to me if I was thinking about spending some money on that. Um, so yeah, ultra short throws can benefit from that. Um, but again, it also has to do with like it depends on the ultra short throw what they are are not capable of what they can truly do versus you know other things and stuff like that i haven't really spent a lot of time with ultra short throws um i did some testing on an lg one i've seen a couple out in the field i'm generally not that big a fan of ultra short throws i'll be honest right off the bat i feel like they're you know if you're in like a dedicated theater environment they're never remotely even close to the performance you can get from a a good you know normal long throw projector and then if you're looking at it from a family room environment compared to like a good flat panel it's like you're basically trading off performance in just about every regard for a bigger screen and i get that like yeah people want you know like oh if i can get a hundred inch or 110 inch or 120 inch in my family room that's amazing um and stuff like that i get it but you you're basically giving up a lot of quality just to get that screen right and then again if you can accommodate a long throw projector you're going to get usually better performance from those than you right. are in order to short throw. So it's, yeah, I've seen like that. So. I've seen a lot of reviews where they, it, it, it's not made clear the compromises going from a, a traditional projector to an ultra short throw and then to a display. Um, yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously if you're looking for perfect clarity and everything, you got your display, but that's, you're limited in size. Right. And yeah. my, my buddy, he's got a living room set up and it's a 123 inch ultra short throw screen in his living room. You know, you're not yeah. getting that with a, yeah, with a traditional display. Um, and you're not setting up a, a, a lot, you know, a traditional projector because you're, it's going to be horrible for daytime viewing. It's going to be across the room mounted on the ceiling. There's so many other things. Yeah. But it, it's, yes, it's, I, I agree with you. Um, I just think it's, there's a lot of, uh, misconceptions out there in the, in the advertising for these things. And it's like, they're a great option, but that's their compromise. Just like a, a traditional projector is a huge compromise, which is usually taken care of by a dedicated room. It's exactly. like, once you go to a dedicated room, you're like, okay, it's, now it's, it's yeah. This is a tool that works really good in this environment and is designed for that. Ultra short throw is kind of weird because it's not as good for, again, like they, they pretty much advertise them completely as a family room flat panel replacement with a bigger screen. Hmm. And in that case, you know, they are all you are getting is size at, at the expense of almost everything else. And then if you're watching, if you're somebody that's like, yeah, but I don't really watch that much during the day because I'm at work or whatever. We tend to watch TV and stuff at night. Again, I get it. The, the, the bigger screen draw 
becomes a thing, but it's, it's still, even in a dark environment, not going to look nearly as good. Uh, um, people that are familiar with like flat panels, the enthusiast at like the value electronics store in New York, they do that big flat panel shootout mm-hmm. every year that always gets a bunch of buzz. Uh, a couple of years ago, they finally started doing one where at the same time they did an ultra short, ultra short throw shootout as well. Yeah. And the first time they did that, they invited me to come out, but I couldn't do it because it's okay. family logistics. And they were the guys that ended up doing the setup and calibration. I said, you know, if I was running this, what I would do is I would do the flat panel competition and then crown your winner. And then I would do your ultra short throw and crown the winner But then for all the people that are attending, say, okay, now I'm going to show you what the flat panel winner and the ultra short throw look like when you compare them directly so that you get an idea of how much you are giving up for that, you know, size to go from an 88 to 110. Now, again, I totally get the draw of 110, especially if you're like, hey, it looks good enough for me. And for a lot of people, it probably does. I'm not trying to throw trash on it, but I'm just saying that like it's kind of this thing where it's it's in this kind of gray area of like I'm willing to give up a lot just so I can have that really big screen. But if you are somebody that watches more at night, I would strongly consider even for a family room looking at a long throw projector with like an ambient light rejecting the screen where you can get a little bit better quality than an ultra short throw if you can control your environment pretty well, again, somebody that's like, yeah, we just right. watch at night or whatever, something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. They did the, they did the shootout with all projectors. They had ultra short throw projectors and they did traditional projectors. That was a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And I knew a couple of people that were on the panel and they were all like, one of them was actually like, he'd never seen them side by side. And he's like, Oh boy. And what was interesting is after the fact, they gave their rankings, but it was based off of like, say, I I forget if it was out of five or 10, but say it was like a nine and and they graded them all. And these ultra short throat, the top ones were getting nines and tens, right? And then the, but then people were reporting that, look at that's just as good as the JVC that got a nine or a 10. And it's like, but it was no, 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 relative. yeah, yeah, it, yeah. No, it's like people didn't even compare to the others. They didn't yeah. realize that it was like this. Look, this is just as good as a JVC. It's like, no, it's only being compared against its competitor, its equal competitors. Right. But when yeah. you watch them side by side, to your point, like if you saw that, you'd be like, oh, boy. And then you again, you put it to a panel. you Oh, boy. Right. So there are compromises yeah. there. And it's that, you know. It's the it's the information they leave out in a lot of the marketing that's tough. Well, it also it always makes everything black and white. So people come to me and they're like, hey, I heard JVC is the best projector out there. And I'm like, well, JVC is really good in this usage case in this environment, but it's the worst projector in this usage case and environment. Right. You know what I mean? Or yeah. like they'll yep. be like, Hey, I heard a, a Studio Tech one hundred is the reference screen. It's the best screen. I yeah. want the best. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's like the best screen there is, but you have to have a room that is insanely particular for that screen yeah. to work. That's what you I know, have. <laughs> most people don't have it. Right. Right. And so, that's what Jim you know, told again, me to like, get. He goes, your room is perfect. Don't listen to that. the internet because they're going to tell you your image is going to be washed out. It's going to be horrible. You're not yeah, going to be yeah. bright enough. It's blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, I don't read the internet anymore because of you. So I'm fine. So he told me to get that. That's yeah, what I have, but you need to have that environment. Yeah, the internet is an echo chamber of like, I heard this and I've heard it a bunch of times, so I'm going to regurgitate it as opposed to, again, like 
you know, this is the best. And it's like, right. well, it's the best for an application. It's like a Ferrari is a better car than a Toyota Tundra unless you're on a dirt track. Right. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, it, like, does somebody just said, well, that the, the, the Bugattis, the best car out there. Not, if like, you're going not grocery on my shopping. road. <laughs> not on my road. It is, right. you know, or I live out in the country. Like yeah. you couldn't even get it to, a, to a paved road in time. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. You know, oh, anybody that, around that, here that buy like the construction guys, they'll own a company to buy a Lamborghini and it's like, they'll have yeah. it for like a summer and be like, I'm never getting that again. My back's killing me. I can't exactly. drive that thing around here in the potholes of New so, England. <laughs> so it's just knowing again, like yeah. the, the ins and outs of the, uh, of that. So yeah. And, and that's, that's the, the most important part. And that's where I say, like, get that relationship with, you know, try to develop a relationship with a, a you know, a calibrator or somebody that knows. And even if it's like, you know, going to your website, learning about that, watching your, how, like, I mean, we still, we still have some time and I got some other questions, Mm -hmm. but, um, what is it like on your tours that do you post those? Like, how do people know, like when you're coming around to you, to them? So this goes back to what I said. I don't really do a lot of advertising because again, I usually have finite windows, right? So, um, what I tend to do is again, cause my time is limited. I get people that reach out cause you know, they've heard about me. Maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's online or whatever. So I get emails that say, Hey, Chris, I live a- in place X. Are you planning a tour to that area? And I'll either be like, yeah, actually I do have a tour and it's in two weeks or a month or six months out. Or I'll be like, no, not don't have a tour plan, but I will put you in a folder for that area. Mm-hmm. So I generally have like a folder that's like SoCal, NorCal, Texas, mm-hmm. Tennessee, Florida. And once I've accumulated enough, you know, where I'm like, man, I've been getting a lot of people. Oh, let me look here. Oh, I've got 25 people in Florida that want a calibration. Oh, maybe I should do a tour there. Okay. I, that's going to take me this much time. I, I can set off that time to do that. And then I'll reach out and say, Hey, you know, you guys asked about a tour. I'm looking at these dates. Can I make it work and stuff like that? So I, I generally, as opposed to just like waking up in the morning and being like, I haven't been to Nebraska before. <laughs> Maybe I'll go on the forum and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing a Nebraska tour. Reach out to me if you need it. I generally look at like, I've got a folder with 30 people from the Bay area that want to have a calibration done. I should probably get that knocked out before that number becomes unmanageable right? or something like that, you know? So, um, and I've just found that like certain areas, uh, you know, have, have been like, I, I get a lot of people in the Texas area, the California area, the Northeast New York area, Ooh. um, you know, I'll, I'll get like the Florida kind of area and stuff like that. Um, and you know, you, you'll find that like you'll, you'll see it over and over again. It'll be in like these four like prime spots. Yeah. Oh, another one for Texas. Oh, California, 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 New York, Texas, Texas, Florida, Florida. And then you get this one guy like, Hey, I live in like, you know, this one town in Ohio. Are you going to be coming through there or Iowa or something? And, so that's the reason that I offer, because again, like I said, like I would say the vast majority of the work I get is projection work mm-hmm. that I started offering. And I started doing this during COVID where I offer remote calibration yep. services. That's where I was now, going people, next. When they, <laughs> yeah, people always ask that they think that that means I'm going to remote into their computer yeah. and like calibrate it on spot. 
No, what that means is that they send me a projector. Yep. So if you already have one, you can ship it to me. But I also do a lot of things with dealers where like you're buying from an online dealer like AV Science or the screening room or somebody else where they can actually have it. Because a lot of those places, if like you buy a projector from them, they're getting that projector from a distributor or let's say the company. So let's say it's Sony. Sony is shipping them that projector to them and then it's going from them to you they have things where they can have that projector shipped to me instead of to them. And then I do the calibration and then it comes to you. Mm-hmm. So it cuts down on some of the shipping stuff, but I I'll do a thing where I set it up and emulate the setup. So I find out, you know, what's your throw distance in your room, what's your screen size, what's the material that you're using. And then I emulate that. I get the projector in, I make sure everything's okay with it. I set it up to the same throw distance. I set it to the same zoom. And then I use a sample of whatever screen material that is that's, that's set tight. And so all my meters are reading off of it. So you're getting 95%. Like I'm, right. the only thing I'm not really doing is any kind of geometric, uh, you know, alignment, the mechanical side again, but all of the, the color grayscale gamma stuff's getting done for a guy that's in an area that's like the odds of somebody doing a tour through there. Like if you really want it done, now you have a way to get it done without having to wonder, like, is somebody ever going to come <laughs> through my city and stuff right. like that? And odds are the price is going to be comparable because I charge for the calibration, but then I also charge for the shipping back to you, like whatever mm-hmm. it costs for FedEx to ship it to you. And yes, that adds a price to it. But if I come out, if you're like, hey, I really want you to come out and and I'm going out there for like a one-off job or a two-off job, oh. the expenses of that, like, you know, like, well, you know, I, I need to be compensated for my travel expenses because why else would I go out there? I'm not going to spend money to come do your job you know, and stuff like that. So it ends up being the same, if not less money than it would be for me to just come out there and do it. Right. So just something, you know, that, that I started doing and it's been pretty popular. I do them quite often. I, I have, yeah, I did like you did one of my listeners, year. um, John yeah, Brock. I do it all the time. Yeah. And, and, he's and in I've Texas. never heard anybody complain about it. And I've actually had ones where I've done them and then I ended up like coming through their area and they're like, Hey, I know you already did mine, but I'd like to see, you know, like, have you, you know, come in and tweak it and I measure it and it like lines up exactly with the measurements that I have. Where I'm like, Hey, this is what I gave you as yeah. your report. This is what I'm measuring now. And you'll see that they're like, they're, they're almost identical. So it, the, the process works. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, um, I was saying we, I mean, we talked about it last time, but it's definitely worth talking about again, but it's like, yeah, in room calibrations, that's the best option, but yeah, cause you know, everything's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're, you're also your, your, your meters and stuff, uh, your, your wall colors are going to affect that. Just very, very little, but you're all that stuff. It comes into play very, very small, but if we're getting nitty gritty, but yeah, remote, the, the effect. The effect on the room has more to do with your perception of what you're seeing than right. what you're measuring because your eye is skewed by the things that you're comparing to. Mm-hmm. And so, so if you're in a room with like red walls, your eye is now comparing red to whatever's on the screen, just like bias lighting, all of that right. stuff. It, it's all going to change your perspective. But a meter is only reading a spot on a screen like mm-hmm. this big. And generally, if you're doing calibration, your lights are off and stuff, and there's not enough light scatter that it's really going to affect that measurement so much. Mm-hmm. So, so again, especially with projection systems, it's just 
I can't, I can't compensate in the, in the, the calibration for the skewing that your eye has because you decided to do blue or red or yellow walls or something like that. You know, that's why they always say, try to do something that's like a neutral color or Mm. something like a mid gray or something like that, where it's not going to skew your perception of what's on the screen. Right. That's why another one, like I'll just bring this up because I see this all the time. People that put a black, see like right behind you in your video, you got those black velvet curtains. People love to put those around their screen and they're like, yeah, that's going to help your, that's going to make your contrast better and stuff. And I'm like, it's not going to do anything for your contrast. There isn't any light that's reflecting off your front wall. If there is any light that hits that wall, that's going to make its way back onto your screen. screen. It now it frames your screen so that you don't have any distractions, but remember our eyes are amazing optical comparators, right? We're really good at comparing things next to each other, right? So if I have a a Sony projector or an Epson projector, something that has a good black level, but not a really great, great black level, and I'm watching a scene that goes to like full black or close to black, and now around my screen, I have a perfect black velvet reference. Yeah. Do you think my, my blacks perceptually are going to look blacker or grayer? They're going to look grayer because right. now you have a perfect reference next to it. Right. Where if you had put like a, a light gray or a mid gray as your surround, a surround, and then you put that black up, now you're comparing the black to that. And you're like, oh, look, my blacks looks perceptually, subjectively better. Right. So. It's, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're raising your, yeah, exactly. Your perception is yeah, based we're off good of everything. At, yes. Exactly. We're good at comparing things. Yeah. Right. And I go, see, I go the opposite. Like, that's why I think masking is so important on a projection yeah. because now I bring in that velvet and now everything, the black negative area. Right. And, but then on a movie, like say the Batman, which is a very dark movie with a lot of shadow detail that when the velvet's up, I mean, everything, it looks, that's what you're looking at. I, that's the way I want. You could see all of that detail in there. Mm-hmm. But when you take the velvet off, now you see what the actual the black area. level is, right? And it's usually those black bars are actually darker than the screen itself, than what you see it on screen, right? A lot it of it can be. It, yeah, it can be. And that's why I'm using like the Batman. It's like, um, it has a slightly raised black level to it. Yeah. yeah. Some movies are starting to do that more, which is annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, and again, it's annoying, but that's one of those reasons why you get a, a, a reason to get a calibration is because now you know you're like, is something off? Is it me? Is it that? But then you go to, you know, like a Star Wars or something where you're like, I've seen that a million times. I know that star field inside and out. And it's like, that's, that's my black level right there. That's, I know that's accurate. Then you go to. Uh, well, kind of. Star Wars tends to put some blues in their star field. Yeah. So it makes oh, it a, not I... quite black, black too. Yeah, they put they yeah they put some blues in. It's it. just like this tiny bit of blue into mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. Probably they just thought subjectively it popped a bit more or something like that. So. Well, that's like you could do this. You do the same thing with when we're talking color temperature with white. It's you add a little yeah. bit of blue, and our perception of that is it's a darker black, and it's just yeah. you're adding just a little bit. Whereas if you went for black black, I do that's what I do all the time for work. I paint cars. And it's like, that's jet black. No, that's actually dark navy blue. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they're like, no, that's jet black. No, I'll show you jet black. This is pure black. I I buy it. <laughs> it's pure black. Yeah. And they're like, no, that's not black enough. 
really? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's all, and that's what's interesting. It's all perception. And that's where you get mm-hmm. into, like we were saying before, it's like you can tune to taste, you know, and it's like, um, let's see, Chris, uh, Chris Brown talking about ultra short throws. He goes, my ultra short throw in a dedicated room works great. I don't see the downside to it. It looks better than my Sony LCD. And that's, great. that's, that's great. And it's, it okay. looks great. I, and, and here's where, and, and Chris has been on the show. I love Chris. I love all my listeners. I don't see the downside to it. Perfect. Go with that. But it, and don't, it, don't go looking for it either. Exactly. It's like when somebody goes, do you hear that annoying noise? Well, now I do. And it's like, and I'm not exactly. picking on you, Chris, or any ultra short throws, but that's, that's the thing is just because you don't see it. And it's like, we're not picking on it, but there are, there are differences in all these things. Just like there's things I don't see in here. And people tell me that there's a, di- I'll never pick on, I'll say, I don't see it. I don't see the difference in those speaker cables, but you, you like it and you hear a difference. Good for you. You've tuned your hearing for that. Um, yeah. When I see problems in a calibration, especially problems that I know exist with whatever display they're at, they'll be like, okay, so what are you looking for? I'm like, I'm not going to show you anything that I'm looking right. for because the minute that I show it to you, if yeah. there's nothing that you can do about it because it's inherent in the display, why put that burden on you that yep. now you're like, oh, maybe yep. I shouldn't have got this for a problem that you didn't know exists in the yep. first place. The first thing I tell people when they reach out for me for like home theater consulting, where they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about upgrading something in my cinema. I've heard this is great. I've heard that's great. I've heard this is great. I've heard that's great. You know, like I, I went on the forums, the, the worst thing you could have done. And they're just telling me I need to have this, 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 and this. I always tell people like, rather than do all that, when you watch a movie in your system, what's the thing? If it, if there is a thing that when you're watching, for some reason takes you out of the experience yeah. that instead of being mesmerized by whatever you're watching and being enthralled by whatever it is, hopefully, you know, you're watching something that you like, um, <laughs> that you're like, Oh, now th- there's that thing. Like it, it went yeah. to black and it's like bluish gray, or I know this scene is supposed to have like really good bass and there's none, or just, I can't make out what they're sa- You know what I mean? Yes. Rather than just spending money on the hot thing or the thing people keep talking about or this, What's the thing that takes you out consistently of your experience? That's what you should be focusing on. You know, it's the, it's that radiator over there that makes all this noise in my room. Okay. Maybe talk to a radiator guy and get something (laughs) quieter or it's, there's always light spilling in from these, save yourself some money and buy a blackout blind instead of a new something else, you know, that's still going to have that there or whatever. Yeah. Like do the things, get rid of the things that bother you or take you out of the experience. And then when everything is just like there, then you can start wasting money on what the other people tell you you should buy. (laughs) Right. It's like, I I got my Kaleidoscape. I got my Lumagen. I'm, I, I couldn't stress enough to people. It's, it might not be for you. Get it. You know, when you feel the need for it, you get it. And my buddy, John, he's the same, like he sees this stuff and he just said on the show, he's like, (laughs) he's thinking of these things too. And he's like, and he's like, to be honest, he goes, DJ does try to talk me out of these things because I, you know, I, I, I know him very well. He, he'll text me. And this is even before I had the home theater show, he'd, he'd text me and be like, what do you think about these Panamax, like, you know, uh, power conditioners? Why? You have a problem with your power? Exactly. I'm like, but it's Do you like, live in an area that gets brownouts? Do you live in an area that has lightning strikes? Do you have, right. do you know that your, your voltage system has dips in it? You know, things like that. 
Yeah. I mean, even Kaleidoscape, if we broke it down to the nuts and bolts of Kaleidoscape, it's like Kaleidoscape is a solution for a problem. What's the problem? Okay, one, I hate FBI warnings. I hate forced trailers. (laughs) I hate having to like pick the audio thing from the menu. I hate having to wait for the menu. I hate having to wait for all the, 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 I want to push play and watch the movie. I like movies that are not, you know, Captain Marvel and, you know, uh, you know, Star Wars or whatever. I like, Downton Abbey and, you know, Mamma Mia, and I can't get those on 4K disc, but I can get them on 4K on Kaleidoscape or whatever. I like foreign, but you know what I mean? Like it's a solution that offers solutions to problems you might have. I don't like waiting for discs. I don't like that they don't have this on disc. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like having to go to a store to buy something. I don't like having to go on Amazon to buy something. Right. Where I, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it yeah. gives you solutions. It gives you a solution, but it's, it, I mean, all of this is first world problems, to be honest. But exactly. It, yeah. But, it, but yes, it's like if, and that's why I've said to people, like everything, like I just like, I like to jump from scenes. That's why I bought it. I wanted it since I've heard of it. But in the same with the Lumigen, I, I exhausted it's every. It's a video processor. It is made to right. solution for problems that exactly. are lacking in the display's video processing. Yeah. Right. And now to get to a calibrator, do you see a problem, right? You hear about it on the internet. You under, you wonder why people are doing it, which is perfect the way Chris couched the question. Why would anybody get a professional calibration? It's a great way to put it because here's the reasons. It doesn't mean that you have to have one. It doesn't mean that you don't need one. It just means that like this, these are the reasons why if you see a problem and the problem could be you like, right? Like yeah. your, t- your display might be perfect, but your head is so wrapped up like me. I'm not picking on I'm talking about me. Your head is so wrapped oh, is up in perfect? making sure that it's right. It's worth the hundreds of dollars to have Jim come out and go bang, bang, bang. It's, it's right. Thank you very much. And that, that's what it's for. So when people say it's like, you don't need it. No kidding. We don't need any of this stuff. I I was going to say, we don't need you. Home theater is, home theater in general is first world. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, why would you do it? Great question. And, and this is why, um, after I got two questions here for more from PK, he says, if after calibration customer doesn't like what he got, how do you convince him that it's the best setting for his screen? And I think you kind of touched on that a little bit with your outline, but do you have people that are still like, huh? I've never, it's never happened. So I don't really know how to respond. I have never yet gone out and calibrated somebody's system where they got back to me and they're like, it's, I, I, I don't, I like the image the way it was before. Right. Like, you know what I mean? I generally make sure that they, they, they like what they're seeing. We go through content that they're familiar with. I make sure that, you know, like it, there's no surprises. I don't go into a room, lock them out of the room, come out of the room, hand them a report and say, it's good to go. And like, <laughs> leave for the door and they never you know what i mean like uh, you come know, out like a doctor that, we was touch and that, go that, for a little while yeah, <laughs> saved yeah her. That, that doesn't happen <laughs> now i have had people that have like come back to me and been like oh you know it, it, i love it but like there's this thing you know or whatever and i'll be like okay well maybe we can do like a a, a phone call or a facetime session and i can kind of see what you're getting mm-hmm. at and stuff like that or they'll be like hey i watched this piece of content and it had this well, then I'll try and look at that content here and be like, oh, okay, well, that's baked into that. Don't worry about that right. or whatever. 
So, um, do you um, ever get, and I, I know my early days with Jim were kind of, um, I already had some knowledge from the video essentials, right? I'd already okay. had video essentials for probably seven, eight years at the time, maybe five or six, whatever it was, right? And then mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff in the early days, it was like teaching you, you're not, you might not like this. It might be a little dim compared to what you're used to. And this was back in the nineties, right? It, do you, yeah. do you find that like asking them ahead of time, what are you, what are your settings now? And this is what you're it, like. So prepping them for what they're about to get before they make that purchase. Uh, sometimes, um, I, I generally don't do it before they hire me, but like if I get there and I know that they have a lot of headroom for like, they can make their image brighter if they wanted it. Um, I'd be like, you know, is how, you know, the first thing I usually like, you know, how do you like this? You know, again, I, I work on a lot of projectors. How do you like the projector? What don't you like about it? If there is anything, what would you like to to see from it? And they're like, oh, no, I like it. You know, I'm like, is it bright enough, too bright, not bright enough? You know, get an idea for those kind of things. And then again, looking at stuff afterward. Um, but a lot of times, like those kind of limitations are more imposed by the choices that they made before I walked in the room. Mm-hmm. They bought projector X and screens too big or screens the wrong material. Or, you know, there's things that I would have loved to have got in on that decision making process that would have saved them a lot of time and aggravation. Um, but, you know, generally, I, like I said, I, I can't recall anybody that literally was just like, uh, I wish I wouldn't have done this or it didn't, you know, most of the time people are pretty happy with it. Um, right. Stuff like that. So, well, it's, and, and again, like we've been saying over and over, it's, you know, if you're thinking about it or if you have doubts, I would say it's not for you because it's, you're going to be, a, you're going to be skeptical all the way through as opposed to the person that finally is, is ready to do it. They're excited for it. Like you said, like, Oh my God, Chris Deering's in my house. I'm getting, I know I was like that the first time I got my cal my, my TV calibrated. I couldn't wait. You're so excited about it. That's the way it should be. If you're skeptical about it, I'm not really sure you're ready for it. I don't mind skeptics. I just don't like, you know, and, and, and I think some of us are always, you know, people are guilty of this in some capacity or another, but I don't like skeptics that like the whole point is like, okay, you're skeptical about a calibration. You hire me, I come out there. And because you're skeptical, the whole time you're just looking for a reason to back up why you shouldn't have got it. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're going into there going like, okay, uh, yeah, I know I hired you, but I know this is going to suck. So you know what I mean? Like if that's the way you're going to approach things, I mean, and I, I would say that about anything in life, then life's short. Why, why, why right. did you bother? If all you wanted to do was find the things that are wrong in something, just find something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like do something right. else and don't waste my time or yours. But I have plenty of people, like I said, that are like, you know, like, Oh, you know, I heard about it. I'm not sure, but like to go ahead and have it done. I have yet to have anybody that wasn't pleasantly surprised by the results that they get that they're like, wow, you know, I didn't realize how much of a difference this would make. And stuff, and, and and I like hearing that and stuff like that. And then there's some people who are like, oh yeah, you know, there's little differences here and there, but at least I know it's right, you know. And you get that. But it, it, if your whole point is like, I'm a skeptic, I think this is BS, but I'm going to go ahead and pay just so I can pick it apart to try to find something in it. Like, yeah. you know, don't waste my time over. That's yours, what I mean. You know what I mean? It. Yeah, like that kind of energy. You know, it's just I, I, I don't, 
I, I don't understand that. Like you yeah. can apply that to so many different things. Like, oh yeah, why? Oh, I'm gonna done this I, myself. I, yeah, then why I heard this you? restaurant sucks, and I know it sucks. So I'm gonna go in there just to prove to myself that it sucks. I'm like, well, why are you gonna go into it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if that, I, I don't get it. <laughs> no, why not just just skip that and go somewhere you know you're gonna probably exactly. like exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. the last question on this, on calibration, I think that I have here is um, why don't this again comes from PK says, why don't TVs come with some built in calibration app with some basic patterns for contrast, brightness settings? Is it so expensive to incorporate them into the set? Like meaning the calibration patterns, I'm thinking, not just like this, obviously the settings are there, but. So this is a common one too that people don't understand the difference. There is a difference between calibration and configuration. So if I have like, let's say the Spears and Munzel disc, I can put this disc on and there's an assortment of patterns that says, Hey, look through this filter or look at this until it does this. That sets the basic configuration up of like, okay, now your black is set properly. Your white is set properly or your sharpness is turned to where it should be so that it's not creating, you know, false lines or whatever. That's configuration. Calibration requires instrumentation. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that I am adjusting your red, green, and blue balance for all the different levels of gray because they're made from a mixture of red, green, and blue. You know, from your white point all the way to your black point, your gamma curve, you have to measure is the light output at 10% where it should be, 20%, 11%, 24%, all these different points. Is it doing that? There's no way you would be able to look at a pattern and figure that out. You have to measure it. You know, is the white point an actual correct balance of red, green, and blue? I measure that and adjust that um, and things like that. Is your color on? Like you don't have, like he has that color thing. What you're doing with that is the color decoder. You're Mm. not actually setting different saturation points and things like that to see is the color uh, tracking accurately. So it's a difference between configuration and calibration. Right. And stuff like that. Some calibrators back in the day, that's all they did. It was like they had their, uh, you know, their Avia Pro or their video essentials and it had like a basic settings and it had the little color filters and you just did that. And that gets you in the ballpark. Just like I said, like if I buy an OLED today and it has five modes, there's one that's really off and there's one that's, you know, really, really close. Well, those might get you that really off to the really close, but it's not calibrated. Right. You know what I mean? So calibration requires instrumentation. Configuration can be done with, you know, a test disc, a test pattern or things like that. But there is a difference between the two. Now, I would like to see at some point, because meters are getting better and less expensive, you know, for a decent, small consumer size meter, where you could have something that like that meter plugs into the back of the TV and then you just put it in a spot Ooh. where it measures and it goes through, uh, uh, you know, some kind of, okay, I'm going to measure this, 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 and this. And, you know, it's already pre-profiled because, you know, they only support this meter and they know the offset of that meter. Apple actually has tried to do that. I think right. there's the thing where you could calibrate with your iPhone. I know a couple of calibrators that have tried it out and said it doesn't work very well, but theoretically yeah. it should be able to work well, but it doesn't. I use it at um, hotels. But that doesn't mean... Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't get that to a point where it could work well. 
and stuff. So I wouldn't mind seeing that. I know Morant's like in the early 2000s tried that. They had a lens cap that had a sensor in it where you put it on the lens and it would do its own calibration cycle and stuff like that. Um, You know, I, 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 you know, I, I always look at this thing realistically. I think that at some point the technology will get there where they could do that. It's not there yet. But, you know, the, again, the cost of the meter that you would need and if they bundled it in, you know, that's more expensive than like the little microphones that they throw in and like every receiver nowadays where right. you could run their little calibration stuff. I, I, I could see eventually getting to a point like that. And I, I would like to see it. And this is somebody that would lose business from that. But at the end of the day, I, 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 don't, I don't think you would lose business, be. but I think it would help a lot of people. Right. Cause we'd, st- we'd still yeah. want you like guys like me would still want you out. It's, you yeah, know, I, it'd be I'm like, not worried I'll, about di- it. I'll dial I, I could find something else to, I could find something else to do. Yeah. I, I have plenty of other things I could do than this. Um, but, um, no, I, I could see the industry eventually getting to that. Yeah. Um, and, and it, I, I think it would be a welcome change. And, uh, so yeah. But but no, they don't have that now that no. I, that I'm aware of. And it's JVC has AutoCal software that you know if you buy a certain yep. meters you can do, and it's not that hard to do. But there is a little bit of a learning curve to it. Um, trying to think if anybody else has anything like that. Not but really. To get to that, I, the question like why don't TVs come with it? It's like so many variables. Everything you're saying, it's like one, it's expensive well, to to, I, to do, I, and two, I, it's the knowledge I, so many variables. No, I, I just step back from it and just look at it as the big picture. Uh, let's say I'm LG and I'm making a TV and I'm like, next year's TV, why don't we throw in a meter and people can calibrate it? Okay, at the, at the end of the day, all decisions on consumer electronics, no matter what anybody tells you, have nothing to do with what's best for the consumer. At the end of the day, it has to be good enough so that they can sell it and they can make money, okay? So if I'm LG and I'm selling... TVs this year and I, I sold a million units, right? And then they're like, Hey, we sold a million units next. What are we going to do next year? What are we going to do for the, the LG 96 instead of the LG 95? Okay. So some guy at the table goes, well, what if we put in a meter so that these guys can self calibrate it and not have to hire a calibrator? Oh, okay. Well, what do we think about that? Okay. So then they have to look at like, okay, out of the million that they sold last year, how many people may not have bought that TV or would buy it again because you included a meter to do calibration? So it has to be a feature that one people see the need for yep. or would benefit from. And then they got to go, okay, so now we got to do the R&D for that. We got to built in some kind of script that they walk through that like, okay, you're in calibration mode. Welcome to calibration mode. Please attach your sensor. So somebody has to come up with that, built it into the TV. And then they go, okay, how much is this meter going to cost me per TV? We're going to ship roughly a million. We have to buy a million of these sensors. How much does that cost? Okay, that sensor is going to cost us $5 each. Okay, so that's cutting into their costs. How many people do we think are going to, you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like it's all a business decision. So as soon as you start down that path, it makes it where, unless it's something that's going to be like, you know, right now, LG, like the guys at LG are like, we just got to figure out some way that we can get a little bit more sales because everybody, a lot of people are going to, we're losing market share to this guy. Is this a feature that's going to make us more attractive than that guy is? And maybe that is, maybe they're so close that like, that's the little thing, but unless it is, 
it's it's you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's so. it, oh yeah. No, it's all the marketing, it's all the game. And if if it already had it, we it's wouldn't money. be looking for it. And it's something they can yeah. a nugget they can add on later or whatever. And it's I mean it's yeah. The, well, so what what would make more sense again from a, a flat panel perspective? If LG was to make a new model that you could calibrate it, or if LG calibrated them at the factory, because again, it's a self-emissive display where any mode that you select or gamma curve you select is correct. And they actually have documentation showing you, hey, we calibrated at the factory. Here is the actual numbers, just like a calibrator would give you. So now they don't have to bundle in all this stuff. They mm. just show you the numbers from their factory calibration that they probably do or whatever. They probably batch calibrate. You know, they'll like they'll calibrate one and then they'll apply it to a bunch and then they'll test them randomly to see how close they are. And as long as they're within a tolerance, they're like, okay, this seems to work. Yeah. Just load it into all of them, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. But, but. I, I think, you know, you probably see that before you, that again, it, it all comes down to money, money, yeah. money, 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 money. Yeah. And then, and we are such a small percentage, the home theater. I mean, here's enthusiast asking us if for this whole thing, like, why should I get calibration? So LG's like, why should we throw in calibration, calibration if people right. that actually care are asking why do they need why? calibration? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's the yeah. thing is like, I mean, we're a small, we're a small part of the market. And then our small part is a small part that wants this small part. And it, and that's why you piece out all of these different things. And like we said, if you see an issue or if you don't see an issue, I'm sorry, don't go looking for them. Cause in this, in this industry, in this hobby, they're going to pop up. You're going to, you know, and your issues are going to be different than my issues. And you're, you know, just enjoy it while it's, while there is no issue. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me, uh, let me hit on this one quick here. This is, this is my uh, co-host. It's his birthday today. Fifth element mentions. Oh, happy birthday. So, yeah. Steve George, it's his birthday today. And that's us back there. That's Steve right oh, nice. there. And uh, one of my nice. listeners made that. That's John and obviously me down here. But uh, it, he hates the fifth element. <laughs> oh, so that's I just use it because I keep seeing it. I know it. <laughs> you, you keep seeing it in the background, but yeah, I so, remember the days when like everybody that was what everybody oh, showed every time over and over. Yeah, because it's you know, so it was the running. It was the running demo yeah. for for what felt like the longest time. I remember like when it like we went through that phase of content where like every year was like, what's the one to show off? What's the one to show off? Because there was only so many. Mm. And now people ask me like, well, what do you like to use? And I'm like, God, we're at the point now where video in general in most things looks so good that it's like, like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm at a loss. I'm like, I could just find, it's harder to find stuff that looks really bad than really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's just gotten so good on the capture side and the, and, and everything else. So do you have any you know. discs you take with you and show people that you like after you're done calibrating, like Jim, no, Jim, I generally just ask people to, you know, what do you like to watch? What's something you're really familiar with? Stuff like okay. that. Yeah. Jim does. He carries, um, Blade Runner. 20 what is it, mm-hmm. 2049 that 2049 opening scene and that, i use that a lot in mm-hmm. my testing my internal testing yeah okay he does that one and uh star trek uh into the darkness the opening scene and he's like he he points out the lights the blue lights that come off 
the as he's climbing up or whatever, they're pulling him out of the lava or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But he uses those, and then, like you said, he's like, he's like, now you show me what you want to see, you know, show me what you had an issue with or something. So interesting, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, we didn't even get to Dolby Vision. Uh, we talked about that last time and I don't want to even approach that subject right now because we'll be here forever. And I know you're busy on your end. You've got stuff to get to. Um, it, it's, it's flown by Chris <laughs> two hours. It does. It was, I always tell people like, they like, Oh, we'll, we'll do like a quick chat. And I'm like, quick chats. No, they don't exist. Yeah. It was, well, that's why when I, I did my 24 hours and that flew by. So it's. Oof. Yeah, it, it was fun. Um, but yeah, when we were talking earlier, what was it last week? And I'm like, Oh, look at us keeping it to a tight two hours. <laughs> but that's home theater. You can just keep on going, especially with the chat. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. We'll have you back and we'll, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions of Dolby Vision. There's a lot of misconceptions with like people think it's a set it and forget it type thing, but it all it get, does get incorporated to it. So, um, yeah. but hopefully we helped out a, you know, a lot of people with this because, uh, you know, it's not for everybody, but it's definitely, it's definitely worth it. Um, and I, I'm hoping we, uh, explain that. So, um, again, you're going to deep dive AV you go there deep and, dive AV. and you're still looking at, um, California, right? Northern California you still have some openings. I don't know if I have any openings. I was actually kind of looking at all my map stuff here and, and the time that I have. Um, if somebody's in the, the Bay Area and they're looking for some work coming up, um, you could reach out, but I can't guarantee I could get you in. Um, the next tour after that, in the early spring, I'll be doing the New York kind of area, surrounding area there. Um, I definitely in 2024 will be hitting SoCal again, the Los Angeles area at some point. I don't mm-hmm. have dates. I'm just saying 2024, I will definitely be in Southern California at some point. I will definitely be in the uh, Denver I-25 corridor of Colorado at some point. I will be in, like I said, New York, um, likely uh, Florida, uh, possibly into like Tennessee, Florida, you know, kind of that area. Um, and then Texas again, most likely, um, as long as there's enough that Texas is so big that I get a lot of stuff like that. Anything outside of that, I possibly might do an East coast, like from DC, Virginia, Maryland area. I've been getting a lot of, a lot of stuff like that, but it just depends on what, like what my time looks like next year and what my wife's travel stuff work looks like. My wife works with, uh, the Navy submarine acoustics program and, a lot of times it's like, hey, there's a submarine that we have to do a test on and there's a window. So it's like if she's oh, told, she yeah. goes kind of thing like that. And that that yeah, that plays a part in it. So. Yeah, you're in high demand. That's good. That's yeah. that's the answer to question right there. It's like that's why you get a lot of people want them. And, uh, and you know, if it's right for you, hit up Chris yep. and see if he's if he's going to be. Un- it's like you are a rock star. Is he is he coming yeah. to it? town near you <laughs> so well, i'm fun. happy i can help people out yeah so thanks chris really appreciate it thanks everybody uh links are in the show notes if you want to you know hit up chris and um until next time uh go push play hey fred this has been a hey fred production with theme music by Jeff Bernhardt and Throne Vault Productions.